Isaiah chapter 40. If you will stand in honor of God's word, I'm going to read the whole chapter today. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? Who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop in the bucket, and they are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it. A goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it with silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot and seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither. 
and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because of his strong, <clears throat> he is strong in power, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. <clears throat> His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now you know why we will spend the whole month of December in this, what do we call it, awesome, fantastic chapter of God's Word. Let's orient ourselves in Isaiah. This may be the first time you've ever heard something read from the book of Isaiah or even the Bible. And so I don't want to get too far into a history lesson, but I do want you to be oriented to what's happening before we jump further into the passage. Chapters 1 through 39 of Isaiah form part 1. And as you have heard for many weeks now, it took place in a time of spiritual decline, a time of injustice, when the widows and the fatherless were not being cared for in the land of Israel and Judah. A time of idolatry, when God's people were taking on other forms of worship. A time of hardness of heart toward God and His Word. It was a season of spiritual neglect and rebellion against God. In the first 39 chapters, over and over, we hear that God's people did not trust the Lord. They aligned themselves with other nations and trusted them instead of trusting the Lord. The light had gone out in the nation of Israel. They were not shining the light on the glory of God and of His grace among the nations. So the Lord pronounced His judgment through the prophet Isaiah. He pronounced His plan to discipline His people to purify His people so that He might show them His grace and restore them and renew them. The history is there were two world powers at this time in Isaiah's day, Assyria and the Babylonians. The short summary of the situation is that the Assyrians took the northern half of God's people, still called Israel, and they took the southern cities of Judah, called Judah, but not Jerusalem. 
That was last week's sermon out of chapter 37. Throughout all of this, the Lord was saying through the prophet Isaiah and others, call my people to repent and to trust me before it's all gone. And we ended there in chapter 39 on this note that the Lord eventually was going to raise up the Babylonians. They were going to take captive the city of Jerusalem. They were going to take the residents of Jerusalem, the Jews, into exile. And again, they were, He was going to do that because of their unfaithfulness to God, their breaking of the covenant relationship with God. And that happened. About 115 or so years after chapter 39's prophecy of Babylon coming into Jerusalem, it happened. And that exile lasted about 70 years. So we could say that almost all of the 6th century B.C., the 500s, is the experience of Judah and Jerusalem in exile in Babylon. And a return back to Jerusalem. So Isaiah chapter 40 marks part 2. And now it's a time of comfort. It's a time of hope. It's a time of promised renewal for God's people. There are prophecies in these chapters 40 and on of the new world to come. So over 100 years has passed between chapter 39 and chapter 40. Isaiah, living in the time of chapter 39, 700 B.C., has been given the prophetic vision to see ahead to the day coming when the people would be taken into exile and also the day coming when the people would return from exile to Jerusalem you can read that in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. But Isaiah was also given a prophetic vision to look beyond that day to the promised day of a Messiah. We're going to keep reading about the Messiah coming from chapter 40 and on. And we read about him in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But Isaiah was given the prophetic vision to see even beyond the first coming of Jesus Christ he was given the ability to see the second coming of Jesus Christ, which has not happened yet, but will, and that's the book of Revelation. We are still waiting for a day coming, and Isaiah chapters 40 and on tell us all of these things. Such a message of grace, of renewal and restoration and hope, and of the newness to come. In exile, the 6th century B.C., God's people, the unthinkable happened. He let the Babylonians come into Jerusalem and take them away to exile. They thought that would never, that could never happen to us. And it happened. And now, they're depressed. And they wonder if and when God will ever deliver them. They wonder if God can deliver them. They've been disciplined, but they feel defeated. They feel 
demoralized and disillusioned. And Isaiah speaks a message to them in this condition and says, Yes, you have been disciplined for your unfaithfulness, but you have not been deserted. God does not desert His people. The Apostle Paul said something similar in 2 Corinthians 4. He was talking about the sufferings that he experienced as an apostle, as preaching the gospel and doing missionary work. He said, we are afflicted but not crushed. We are perplexed but not driven to despair. We are persecuted but not forsaken. We are struck down but not destroyed. I go to that passage often to say, I am this. But to remind myself, I am not this. Now, there is a difference between Paul and Israel. Paul suffered for preaching the gospel. Judah, Israel, the people of Jerusalem suffered for their own sin and as discipline. But the message is the same. They are in exile, but they are not deserted. The Lord is with them. And that is Isaiah 40. Isaiah speaks, the Lord speaks, a word of renewal by His power and His grace. We know it's a chapter of renewal because it begins and ends with renewal. Here's the structure, verses 1 and 2. He's saying, comfort the people. We'll come back to this passage in a moment. But he's saying, for now, comfort the people because They're in a new place in their relationship with God. It's been restored. The warfare has ended. The iniquity is pardoned. They are now restored. Verse uh, 31, that's verses 1 and 2. Verse 31, they now have a new strength coming to them to walk with the Lord because the Lord has renewed them. Together, they bookend a beautiful chapter of God's renewing work in His people by His greatness and His graciousness. And as I said, we're going to take the chapter in four weeks. Today, the first eight verses, it's the announcement of God's grace, of the renewal to come, calling us to prepare our hearts. The second week, we'll look at verses 9 through 11. It's the renewal that comes when the Lord comes to us, when Christ comes to rule and to shepherd His people. And then the third week, verses 12 through 26, this is going to be a wonderful week. A renewed understanding of the incomparable nature of Christ. We have such a small, I can't preach it. I was just tempted to start preaching that. I'm going to finish that sentence. We have such a small view of God and of Christ. And these verses 12 through 26 are just a challenge, a challenge. You want to compare me to an idol? See, I've got to stop preaching. The fourth week, renewed in the strength of the Lord, verses 27 through 31. Renewed in the strength of the Lord for those who wait for Him to follow Christ. Thank the Lord for Isaiah 40. Today, verses 1 through 8, God's grace to renew His people. Let's prepare for His renewal. I'm going to give you three points. The first one is this. Be comforted. Verses 1 and 2. 
be comforted. Spiritual renewal is the pardoning of our sin. In these verses, Isaiah is talking about the grace of the Lord. Forgiveness and reconciliation and renewal come from the Lord as a gift to us. And yes, it does come. Verse 1, comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. This is the same God, by the way, who spoke rebuke and judgment. Now he speaks comfort and grace. Some people have the idea that there are two gods. Or at least there's one God and he just changed. There's the one in the Old Testament that speaks judgment. And there's the one in the New Testament that speaks grace. And that is not true. There's one God. The same God who spoke rebuke and judgment to his erring people is the God who disciplined them and purified them and speaks tenderly and speaks comfort and speaks of grace. It actually shows us the aim of God's grace in disciplining us. It's to renew us. Brothers and sisters, be comforted. If you're in a season where God is purging in your life, receive it because He loves you. And He's leading you to joy. Comfort, comfort my people, He says. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. God is still their God. They're still His people. This is God's grace. God's purpose, God's steadfast love, God's intention toward His people. Here's our comfort. Nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Here's our comfort. Nothing will snatch us from the hand of our Father. No hardship. No discipline. No sin. He remains God of His people. And His people remain His people. This is grace. Comfort. Comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Do you hear the heart of God? I know the past 16 weeks in the first 39 chapters, at times you've thought, wow, those are hard words. God has spoken what He will do to His people who rebel against Him. Remember, it's because He loves. Hear His heart. His disposition toward His people who are hard-pressed. Verse 2, speak tenderly, speak comfort. Why? Because that, that, her warfare has ended. He's speaking about the exile in His day. He's saying to His people in exile, be comforted, be hopeful, this is going to end. The time will be complete, the work of discipline will be over. And that's the way it is in Christ, brothers and sisters. The disciplines, the hard pressing, the hard time is not the final word. The joy awaits. The hardships of life will end. They will end for every person in Christ Jesus. The warfare will end. Comfort my people. Speak to her that her iniquity is pardoned. 
forgiveness. It's granted and it is proclaimed. This is what someone has called the riddle of the Old Testament. How? How is the sin pardoned? How is the iniquity forgiven? I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I can't help myself. Christ, He's the answer to the riddle of how a person is forgiven before God. Christ, speak to my people that her sin, her iniquity has been pardoned. Speak to my people a word of comfort that she has received double for all her sins. Now some think that that means she's been disciplined double for her sins. And some believe it means that there's double grace to cover her sins. I would say the second one makes more sense in the context. It's a word of grace. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. He's speaking of the abounding grace of God. Isaiah is addressing exiles in the 6th century, but he has put before us eternal truths made possible in the work of Jesus Christ that you and I can pick up today by faith. Comfort, tenderness in the forgiveness of our iniquity, the ending of our warfare, restored to God. But before we can accept, appreciate, and trust the work of Christ, before we can find comfort in Christ, we have to spend a minute here on these words, iniquity and sin. Because it's real. I do believe it is true what people have said throughout the centuries that grace means much to us when we understand the depths of our sins. And when we do not understand the depths of our sin, then maybe we yawn at the grace of God in Christ. Sin is real. There are real actions and real attitudes, real thoughts and real beliefs that are against God and His Word and His will and His honor and His glory and His grace. These are real violations to God's commands. Sin is real. And there are two ways to deny sin. One seems to be happening to us as a culture, and that means we just change what constitutes sin. If you keep changing what constitutes sin, you never have sin. You just change it. But the other is on a more individual level. And it's to refuse to acknowledge sin. And that doesn't just happen to people who don't go to church. That happens to people who sit in churches. Enjoy the lesson, the morality of it, the culture of it. But never come to the acknowledgement of that individual's personal Sin against God. There's two ways. Those are two ways to deny the reality of sin. 
Sin is real. Sin is a real problem. That's another thing that we say. We can dismiss it by saying, well, doesn't everybody sin? And you know, if everybody sins, it must not be a big deal because what's God going to do? Is he just going to judge everybody? The single most important issue in life and eternity is where a person is in relation to God. God who is creator, God who is judge, God who is savior. There's a real existence in heaven or in hell that awaits every person. And sin, iniquity, is a real barrier to God, and it is the real determinant of eternity. And the blindness of people is evidenced in believing that if there is no immediate consequence to our sin, then it must not be a big deal. And the failure of preaching and the failure of of gospel presentations and the failure of the ministry of the church is to remove the concept and the communication of sin against God and the consequences of it. The human conscience must be convicted before it will be comforted. And comfort in Christ, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord, your iniquity is pardoned. Comfort in Christ comes to those who know they're sinners and then know that their sin has been pardoned. And there's a real solution to sin. And his name is Jesus Christ. We're coming to Isaiah 53. It says there that the servant of the Lord was pierced through for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquity. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. His soul was made a guilt offering for sin. This is the cross of Christ, and it is comfort, it is precious, it is life to everyone who knows the depths of sin and that it's real and it's a real problem. This is why we cling to the cross. What is our comfort? Our comfort is the cross of Jesus Christ. Our comfort is is the forgiveness of our sins because Jesus paid it all. Our comfort is the declaration over us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our comfort is that there is no separation from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Our comfort is in knowing that every discipline of the Lord leads to holiness. And our comfort is in knowing that Jesus Christ is committed to getting you in faith all the way to his glory. Be comforted today. Isaiah 40 is for you. Second, we're called to prepare. Verses 3 through 5. Here Isaiah speaks of the glory of the Lord, which is the power to renew and to make new. 
The coming of the Lord will be the Lord's doing, by the way. Let's make it very clear. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The coming of the Lord, the, glory, the, the revealing of the glory of the Lord is the Lord's doing, not ours. But Isaiah 40 says that this voice is to prepare the way. John the Baptist prepared the way. Luke chapter 3, Matthew 3, Mark 1, New Testament. John the Baptist was said to be the fulfillment of these verses when he called people to prepare the way of the Lord by repenting, by being baptized, to prepare for the coming of Christ. John the Baptist did not cause the coming of Christ, but he prepared the way by the word of the Lord. Acts chapter 3, the Apostle Peter's sermon after Jesus ascended to heaven. And where was he preaching? He was preaching in the city of Jerusalem. And he said, repent, turn back so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Come to Christ and He'll renew you is what He's saying. Now, Peter knew he couldn't cause the renewal. He just knew he was supposed to preach as God's way to prepare for it. The Apostle James, in the book of James, New Testament, chapter 4, calls the church to humble herself to submit to the Lord, to grieve and mourn over sin, to resist the devil, to draw near to God. Why? To be exalted, to be lifted up, to be renewed. So here in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, there's this nature imagery that is calling for a spiritual preparation for the renewing work of God as the Lord in His own timing comes in glory and reveals Himself to all flesh. Verse 3, he says the wil there's a wilderness and there's a desert. These are places of barrenness. They're natural places and they speak of a spiritual reality of barrenness. And yet the Lord is interested in bringing renewal where there is spiritual barrenness. When you see in your own life barrenness, just remember the Lord wants to renew that. Listen, when you see somebody, when you see a person, and it just looks spiritually barren, you see a place. We use the phrase, I don't want to take the Lord's name lightly, but we use the phrase sometimes. We, say, we speak of places as being, quote, God-forsaken places. God specializes in God-forsaken places. He wants to bring spiritual life to barren places. Desert land, wilderness land. Verse 4, in the valley, let the valley be lifted up. Every valley, in the valley of darkness and despair, have hope. In the valley of darkness and despair, expect, be lifted up. Expect the Lord to be there. Pray for the darkest places in our city. Pray for the darkest places in your heart. 
the Lord can lift it up. And every high mountain, every hill, oh, the haughtiness, the pride, the arrogance is prepared when it's humbled, when it's brought low. It's prepared for the glory of the Lord. And sometimes we just have to look, step back and say, that's what's happening to us. It's what's happening. The Lord is humbling the haughtiness of mankind and maybe of our nation, maybe of our city, maybe of our church, maybe of you, maybe of me. He brings it low. He humbles us. Why? To prepare for the Lord. James said it. Humble yourselves you might be exalted. And the rough and the uneven places of life Turn them over to the Lord and trust them to the Lord. Wait upon Him. Verse 5, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it. Do you long for that? I long for it. I'm praying for it. I prayed for you this week. I prayed this morning driving to church. I prayed, I think I prayed going to sleep. I think I prayed waking up. I'm just, will you pray with me that the glory of the Lord will be revealed in our city and that all flesh will see it. Verse 5, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That just means it's going to happen. You know, when we're in the presence of some human glory, we feel alive. We feel alive. I watched the game yesterday. I did. I watched it. I don't know who you were for. I'm not going to go there. The big one. You know, that big game. It was on. And everybody looked so alive. Because of the glory of football on the field. When you see a, a natural glory, you're alive. You stand there over the cliff at the stone door in East Tennessee and you gaze out over that. Or you take that drive up through the Smokies or you go out west or you go to the Gulf and you look at the ocean. And people say, this is my happy place, I feel alive. Of course you do, because you're in the presence of a human or a natural glory. What will it be like in the glorious presence of the Lord, the presence of the glory of the Lord? It will be one word, glory. And the long-awaited glory came in Christ. The knowledge of the light of the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory has been revealed. And the glory of Christ still comes to renew the church. A few verses beyond the one I just quoted. We are being transformed from one level of glory to another into the image of our Maker. This comes by the Spirit. The Spirit is revealing the glory of Christ in the congregation and in the Christian. By this glory, we will be the light of the world. So we must be praying for it. He says it's going to come. It has come in Christ. It comes in the Spirit. It will come again. And in the meantime, we want to see fresh fresh revelation of the glory of Christ through the word of Christ and the discipleship of the church and people turning to Christ. Are you praying for this? Are you longing for this? Lord, 
Let's pray it now. Lord, reveal anew and afresh your glory in Christ among us. And finally, be sure. Be comforted. Let's prepare. And now be sure. Verses 6 through 8. Here Isaiah speaks of the word of the Lord. Renewal comes by the word of the Lord's grace. Renewal comes by the word of the Lord's glory. Renewal comes because it is assured assured by the word. The word of God is the power of his decrees. The word of God is the power of his promises. The Lord has decreed certain things to happen. They are decreed by His Word. And simply because He spoke it, it will happen. The Word is His promise. And simply because He promised it, it will come to pass. Peter said in the New Testament, chapter 1 of 1 Peter, that we are born again to a living hope by the living and abiding Word of God. Verses 6 and 7 tell us that the power of the flesh, the power of humanity, is like grass, like flowers, able to be flattened and to fade away. All of humanity, all of humanity is grass, weeds, flowers. But the word of the Lord, the decree, the promise of the Lord stands forever. Be assured that the Lord will claim and call and keep His people. Be assured that the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Be assured that He will make all things new. Be assured that there will be no human barrier to the will of God being accomplished in His way and in His time. Be assured that He doesn't need human agency. The agency is Jesus Christ, His Son, the living Word of God. The sovereign Word of God promises us that our comfort, our forgiveness, our pardon is sure. That His glory is going to be revealed. And I'll just skip to the last verse that we, by waiting upon Him, will renew our strength. There's so much more to come in Isaiah 40 this December. But I'll close with this. Be like the exiles. Find your comfort in Christ. Don't rest it anywhere else. Turn to Christ. Second, always be expecting. Pray and live like you expect the Lord to bring renewal to your life and to His people. Third, turn to Christ to be forgiven. If we can help you today, we would love to do that. Let us know. Fourth, wait upon the Lord in your hard-pressed time. Are you hard-pressed? Wait upon the Lord. Don't give up. And if you think you're going to give up, would you let somebody know? We'll pray with you. Fifth, 
trust in the absolute certainty of the eternal Word of God. And sixth and finally, let's find our voice. Isaiah 40 says, Speak comfort and tenderness to Jerusalem. It says, Cry out in the wilderness. It says, Cry out. The word of the Lord stands forever. Let's find our voice as a congregation. And when we leave today, let's be speaking and crying out the comfort of Christ. Father in heaven, thank you for your word.